All right, good evening, ladies. We're going to get started. Thank you again for coming back. It's great to see all your faces here. And I do believe my daughter, I think Carly's, um, without my permission, has recorded the studies. <laughs> so I think whoever, if you've missed a study um, because you've been away or whatever, um, somehow we can get that to you or you can listen to it somehow. We'll find that out later, right? Okay. And I'll let you guys know. So let's, um, let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just um, pray first that you just calm my um, nerves, Lord, and help me to just rest in you and to know that uh, these are your words, Lord, and um, that I'm just being obedient to what you want me to do, Lord. I don't feel qualified, um, but I just want to do your will. So... God, as we um, meet tonight, Lord, just take away um, my thoughts and let them be your thoughts that go before us, Lord. We want to be women who um, walk close with our God. We want to be women who are obedient, Lord. We want to be women who um, are not, um, when we are tempted, Lord, we don't fall easily. God, that we are um, walking close to you, that we know your word. And uh, we want to be mature women, Lord, mature Christian women. And, and that's what James is about, Lord. That's what we're learning. So I just pray, Lord, you know each uh, woman that's here tonight, Lord, what kind of week um, they've had last week, Lord, and the weekend, and what's ahead of them, Lord, what might be distracting them tonight, Lord, or weighing heavy on them. Um, God, you know each one of our needs um, better than we know our needs, Lord. And I just pray that you would meet each woman here tonight, Lord, that you'd help us to um, set aside our fears, our worries, um, and just um, look to you, Lord, and look unto your word, what you have for us, Lord. And we just lift this time before you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're on lesson two. Trials and temptations. You're going to turn to James 1, and we're looking at verses 12 through 18. And if you remember, the first chapter was the mature Christian is patient in trials. So I'm going to just read. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So we're reminded the mature Christian is patient in trials. It has been faith is not true until it is tried. Right? How, how would it grow if it's not? If it's not being worked on, this is when we find out how much faith we really have when we're being tested, when we're being tried. We'll, there'll be times in your life when you feel like God has turned up the heat and you want to jump ship. You don't, you don't want to keep walking. You want to just escape. I know there's times, um, 
sometimes I'll just text my husband, I just want to run away. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'll come find you. <laughs> um, so we remember, we're reminded that an all-wise and loving God is just working on our character when he turns up the heat, right? When he allows a trial um, to come into our life. And some, um, maybe we've kind of helped happen. Some, we don't just hit us in the face and we don't know where they came from. And um, we, we don't know why we're walking through it. But God is wanting us to grow, so we need to trust him. He's trying to make you and I a stronger soldier for the kingdom of God. You, you will be amazed if you stand with him what you'll become when you walk through the other side. And let him chisel away the nonsense. We learned that last week, right? That, that's in your life, just the nonsense that we all carry. When you're in the dark, listen hard. I think sometimes when we're in the dark, we tend to speak more, and it's more of a time to be quiet so we can actually hear him. It's, just, it's not a time to speak when you're in that dark time. You may find yourself complaining, questioning his love for you, and soon you may be resisting his will. Testing comes from God, and temptation comes from Satan. So remember that. Temptation come, testing comes from God, and temptation comes from Satan. We have to understand this, or we will not be able to process our trials in truth. Have you ever done that? You're going through a trial, and you just, you're not processing it right. You know, you're, not, you're just, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I do this study, and I'm like, oh, Lord, this is for me. This is so good. You know what I mean? Because it's like God's word. It's just like washing me and, and telling me, hey, you know, put your feet back here. Stop going to the right or going to the left. I want you right here. So reminder, God's purpose in us enduring through trials is our maturity as his children. So he, he's wanting us to grow. He doesn't want to leave us as infants. So let's begin in James verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice the last phrase, to those who love him. Love is the spiritual motivation behind every imperative in this whole section. Why do we have a joyful attitude as we face trials, which is really hard to sometimes? Because he loves us and we love him. And he will not harm us, right? If we remember, if we're, we're knowing who our God is, we're counting the way God wants us to count, we'll know that he's not trying to harm us. I think often um, as women, we can think, okay, this trial, is, it's just, it's why? I don't understand. You know, and we can get fearful and we can get angry. Like, God, are you trying to hurt me? Like, why? I don't understand. But God says, no, I have a bigger plan you know, we don't often see it while we're in the middle of it. Sometimes not on, even on the other side of it. But he's chisel, chiseling away the things that are in our life that he doesn't want there because he wants us to mature. Why do we have an understanding mind? Because he shared his truth with us, right? And we love him in return. Why do we have a surrender will? Because we love him. Where there is surrender and obedience. Why do we have a believing heart? Because love and faith go together. When you love someone, you trust them, you do not hesitate to ask for help. I think often sometimes we just can go through this life. We might tell a girlfriend or tell our spouse or someone we're close to, hey, this is what's going on. And we're forgetting who to tell the one that's most important. It's Jesus, right? You know, our, our best friend, the only one that can change the circumstances or make it better. Sometimes I, I think, oh, um, you know, this will help. You know, like last time we learned, like eating chocolates or going shopping or whatever it is. You fill in the blank what makes you makes things lighter. But do you ever do those things and you're still empty? You're still like, 
that sought aside for like five seconds and it's gone. It's because he's the one that will only satisfy us. You know, he, he will completely take away all of that for us and just make us whole. Love is the spiritual force behind the imperatives James has given us. If we love God, we have no problem counting, knowing, letting, and asking. That's what we learned last time we were together. But there is another factor involved as we continued in, in our, uh, this chapter um, that love keeps us faithful to the Lord. The double-minded person, James 1a and 4a, is like an unfaithful husband or wife. Such a person wants to love both God and the world. In chapter 4a, purify your hearts literally means to make chaste. The picture is that of an unfaithful lover. The Christian who loves God and who knows that God loves him will not fall apart when God permits trials to come. She is secure in God's love. God's purpose in trials is maturity. And I think we often want to run for that because it's not fun. It's not easy going through that and getting to the other side of it. But God has a purpose. If we just would stand where he has us, we'll see on the other side what, what he's doing. You know, he, he has a purpose. If that's what you want then in love to Christ, then let's learn how to respond rightly, right? We want to respond. We want to be women who respond rightly, not, um, my husband always says, I don't want to react. You know, a lot of times something happens and we, we as women, we just react. And then we're like, oh, I just totally embarrassed myself. I made a fool of myself with my kids or I ruined that witness at work, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Because we react instead of, okay, just, I used to tell myself, especially during the younger season of disciplining my kids, it was much easier for me to spank them in anger because I was angry and I wanted to spank them and get it out. But that wasn't how we did it. I had to give myself. Sometimes I'd be like, go to your room. And that more go to your room, we never, ever spanked in public. Never. If we were in the middle of Walmart, we were leaving Walmart and going home. Whatever it was, we, we, I never did that in public because that was embarrassing and I didn't want somebody reporting me or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to embarrass my kids like that. So, But that going to your room or giving that space wasn't really for my kid. I mean, it might have made them sit there and think, oh, gosh, I'm really in trouble. It made them think about what they did. But it was more so for me because for me, he has way more patience than I do. My husband, I didn't have a lot of patience. And so my anger... I wanted to react in anger, and I knew that would not be the right response to get what I needed to do with my children. Like, I needed to spank in love. And I'll tell you, ladies, it is so much harder to spank in love than to spank in anger because you're, it's, just to, it's just totally different, totally, totally different, and you get a total different result when you do it. This is why we're doing this and, you know, that whole thing. When there's a season for spanking, of course, it doesn't last forever because they get bigger, and then we went to a consequence box. So anyway, I'm totally off beat, but <laughs> why do we have a believing heart? Um, so we're counting, knowing, letting, asking. And we know to purify your hearts literally means to make chase. The Christian who loves God and who knows that God loves him will not fall apart. She's secure in God's love, and it's for us to be mature. So in verses 13 through 18, we want to respond rightly. Here the Holy Spirit advises us how to handle temptation. So let's look at 13 through 18. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
But when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be conceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and per- every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, which we might be of kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the spiritually mature person learns they must be patient in trials. Sometimes the trials are the testing on the outside, and sometimes they are temptations on the inside. So the trials and tests are the testings on the outside. The temptations are in the inside. Have you ever been walking through a trial, and then in your mind, you're wanting to, the temptation is how to handle that? You know what I mean? Like it's on the inside. Testing and trials come from God, and temptations come from Satan. Why did James connect the two? What is the relationship between testing without and temptations within? Simply this. If we're not careful, the testing on the outside may become test temptations on the inside. When our circumstances are difficult, we may find ourselves complaining against God, questioning his love, and resisting his will in the way we believe, behave in hard times, right? At this point, Satan provides us with an opportunity to escape the difficulty. This opportunity is temptation. Scripture tells us when Israel was, you know, I always look, you know, the Bible's so fun to look at, like the stories. Like when, when Egypt was leaving, you know, I think, God, just why can't you do like a, something like that? Like part this sea, like everybody would just believe in you forever. Like we would never, like would you ever doubt again that he's God if you saw that miracle? But did you see what they went through? I mean... They just literally, not long after that, they, they're doubting again. They were struggling. So, you know what I mean? Like, we think these big things happening, we're going to believe, but no. So, no sooner had they been delivered from Egypt than their water supply vanished, and they had to march for three days without water. When they did find water, it was bitter, and they, bitter, and they could not drink it. Immediately, they began to murmur and blame God. They turned their testing into temptation, and they failed. Certainly, God does not want us to yield to temptation, yet neither can he spare us the experience of temptation. We are not God's shelter, sheltered people. We are God's scattered people, right? If we are to mature, we must face temptations and testings. We must. That's how we grow. There are three facts we must consider if we are to overcome temptation. The first one is we must consider God's judgment. James said, look ahead and see where sin ends death. Do not blame God for temptation. He is too holy to be tempted. He is too loving to tempt others. A lot of times we say, why, why is he tempting me this way? Why? And it's not him, but we want to blame him. God does test us, but he does not and cannot tempt us. Yet it is we who turn occasions of testing into temptations. A temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. Like, you want to pass a test? Nothing wrong with that, right? If you study and do it right. But it's how you go about it. If you cheat, then that's a sin. That's not a good way. If you really, 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 really want that outfit and you steal it, well, then that's, you know, you've crossed a barrier, Those are just some simple examples, which are pretty obvious. We think of sin as a single act, but God sees it as a process. 
and, there, and here there are four stages in that process. There's desire, there's deception, there is disobedience, and death. So in uh, verse 14, we see desire happening here. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The word lust means any kind of desire. Not necessarily. I know we hear it a lot with um, sexual passions. But lust can be after whatever. You fill in the blank. It could be after a certain car or whatever. It, it, you know, it can be um, you're lusting over that other couple's marriage. They have a better marriage than you do or you think they do because we always think the grass is greener on the other side, but we never know all the details, do we? So you can fill in the blanks there. The normal desires of life were given to us by God, and they of themselves are not sinful. It is when we want to satisfy these desires outside of God's will. That's when we get into trouble. These desires must be our servants and not our masters. And this we can do through who? Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. The second stage of sin is deception. No temptation appears as temptation. It always seems more alluring than it really is. Temptation always carries it with some kind of bait. There's some kind of bait that's dangled there that appeals to our natural desires. The enticing bait not only attracts us, but also hides the fact that yielding to that desire will eventually bring sorrow and punishment. Right? We never see the consequences of our sin right away. Like even um, David, you know, the example I was thinking of is David looking onto his neighbor's wife. He never thought having uh, adultery with her would then her first son die and then the murder of a brave soldier, right? Who, who, you don't see all the other stages that happen um, in the midst of that. You know, if we could all look, I always say, oh, God, if I could just look, you know, three months ahead. Or three weeks ahead in the situation, you know, then we would maybe we would be like, okay, okay, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to take that choice. I, I want to be submissive to you, and I want your will. I'll wait. I'll be patient. So we don't even see the the tragic, horrible consequences that things would bring. The bait keeps us from seeing the consequences of sin. When you know your Bible, you can detect the bait and deal with it decisively. So it's really important to know this. It should be your best friend. Um, the third is their disobedience. We have been moved from the emotions, desires, and the intellect, deception, and now to the will. In verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We see his, he changes the picture here till the birth of a baby. Christian living is a matter of the will and not of the feelings. I often hear believers say, I don't feel like having my devotions. I don't feel like praying or reading. I don't feel like attending church today or whatever. Um, you can't go by your feelings, especially us women. Don't ever let your feeling guide you. It's going to get you in so much trouble. <laughs> um, children operate on the basis of feelings, but adults operate on the basis of will. Mature people act because it is right, no matter how they feel. This explains why immature Christians easily fall into temptations, because they're leaning on their feelings, because they let their feelings make those decisions. The more you exercise your will in saying a decisive no to temptation, the more God can take control of your life. And I think that really helps by what we're, 
what we're seeing, what we're listening to, you know, what we're watching, what we're allowing in, you know, to, to feed us. Because there's so much, um, it's just a different world now, like with um, the social media, you, it's just constant. You constantly can be on it, you know. I, I went today somewhere to pick up something, and I literally sat there. I was trying to practice patience, and she just was on her phone, you know, and I was like, oh, what? and I felt, I felt weird going, excuse me. And so I sat there and I'm like, Lord, what do I do? Like, and then I was like, should I just walk away? And I'm like, no, I'm going to stay here because I really want to do this. And then finally she felt very apologetic, but I just thought, gosh, how many times are we just so distracted by this? You know, that it just pulls us away constantly. It's a hard balance. We didn't have this years ago, like at all. Like it just wasn't, this is, I mean, there's so many things that pull us, pull at us just in our family life on the many hats that we wear as women, let alone all the social media that's out there, computers and the phones that can just keep pulling you away from where, where, what God really wants you to be doing. So he looks at, um, he changes the picture here to a birth of a baby. Christian living is a matter of the will, not the feelings. And Christian operate on basis of feelings, but adults operate on the basis of will. This explains why immature Christians easily fall into temptations because they let their feelings and make the decisions. The more you exercise your will in saying no, the more God can take control of your life. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. The fourth stage is sin, where it ends in death, in, in death for verse 15, where it says there, Disobedience gives birth to death, not life. It may take years for sin to mature, but when it does, the result of, is of is death. If we only believe God's word and see his, this final tragedy sin results in, it will encourage us not to yield to such temptations. These four stages in temptation and sin are perfectly depicted in the first sin recorded. We all know, right? Eve. In Genesis 3, verse 5, the serpent used the desire to interest Eve. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Is there anything wrong with gaining knowledge? No. Is there anything wrong with eating food? Eve saw that that tree was good for food and her desire was aroused. Satan is a deceiver. He seeks to deceive our mind. The bait Satan used with Eve, the forbidden tree, was pleasant Eating, it would make her wise. Those are good things in itself, right? Just not the way she went about it. Eve, because there were strict rules about that tree. Eve dis disobeyed God by taking the fruit and eating it. Then she shared it with her husband, and he disobeyed God. When you're faced with temptation, it really helps to get your eyes off of the bait and look ahead to consider the consequences. Like Just, just distract yourself and... and and I know we don't always see the bait till we've maybe took taken a little bite or we've thought about it longer, but it, it would be good to get our eyes off of it. And maybe, you know, a lot of times um, at night, sometimes I'm really struggling with falling asleep. Um, just, I don't know what it is. It's, I have never, I'm always, I hit the bed and I'm out. And I, I mean, even when the girls were little, Tony would wake me up, they're crying. And I'm like, they are? 
And he would say, yeah, and you're the only one that can feed him because I nursed. And so I just, I'm a hard, hard sleeper. But lately I um, am just struggling with it and just not sleeping very good. And you lay there, you know, and I don't want to be on this because that's going to, it's not healthy for me. It just isn't. So I'm laying there and last night I was doing it and I was like, you know, and for some reason you can be at work and the day's like tick tock tick, like it's going so slow. But at night when you're trying to go to sleep, it's like, oh my gosh, it's 11 o'clock. Oh my gosh, it's one o'clock. What I am, I have five more hours and I gotta get up. You know what I mean? You start panicking and then you can't, you're trying to make yourself go to sleep and you can't make yourself go to sleep. But I just found myself, Lord, help me. Like, and half of the time I just wanna wake my husband up. I'm like, I need help. Can we pray together or something? But I'm like, he needs to go to sleep. So I just am like, Lord, help my mind. So I think it's really healthy when you start, do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. You know, you quote those scriptures. That's why it's really good for us as women to be mature believers, to know our Bible. You know, ask God. I've asked him, Lord, I need a promise. I'm in this trial right now, and I need I need to hear from you. I'm struggling right now with this. Whatever it is, I don't know everyone's situation or, you know, how things are going with each one of us. But God, he's so faithful to answer. He'll give you that promise. He'll give you that encouragement. And hang on to it. You know, when, when you're laying there, I know for me, when I'm laying there, like last night when I was laying there, I just was hearing, you know, horrible things. Just the enemy was just whispering not fun things into my ears. And you can, I could, I could feel myself starting to get overwhelmed. I, mentally, my mind was just like getting so bogged down with it. And I was like, no, I had my quiet time today. I'm going to, here's some scripture. I'm just going to give it right, that, right back to you. And I just started praying and talking to the Lord. And I started, I don't know if any of you have heard of, um, She's really older, but Sherry Youngward, she's written some uh, worship music that she's written from the Psalms. And it's one of the songs that really, really ministered to me um, when we were leaving York and coming here was Peace Be Still. You know how sometimes you're just like, oh, I just want to be in that place because there I had such peace. Do you ever just long for that? Like, and that's last night I was like, oh, I just, I want to, I just want to hear that song because I just, it's just going to bring peace into my life. Like I just, it makes it. I don't know. So it's just when you're in that area, like, what are you grabbing for? What are you reaching for? So know your Bible. Ask him. He'll faithful in your devotion time. He's faithful to give you a word of encouragement. All right. So um, where was I? Okay, so you want to get your eyes off the bait and look ahead to consider the consequences. In verse 17, here we're exhorted to consider God's goodness. One of the enemy's tricks is often is for us to believe that our father is holding something good from us, right? Because he's not allowing that blessing or he's not allowing this situation or he's not allowing me to get this position at this job or whatever, fill in the blanks. He's not allowing my husband to get the promotion or whatever it might be. All right, then we, why are you holding out, Lord? Like that we can start to to doubt, right? We got to go back to count no. We got to add it up to God's economy. You know, he does love you. He is on your side. He is faithful. He is working. He's chiseling. So that's one of the enemy's tricks, and we need to remember that, that he is not holding back on us and that our father doesn't really love us, right? Oh, he doesn't really love you. You, you thought he did, but he doesn't. But he does. Remember? What did he do? What's the biggest thing that he did? He died on that cross and took that for you and me, for everything that we ever did. He took that. And died on the cross, that beating, that shame, for, and he was perfect. When Satan approached Eve, Satan suggested that if God really loved her, he would permit her to eat from the forbidden tree. 
Remember, it is better, I love this, it is better to be hungry in the will of God than to be full outside of the will of God. I'd rather be hungry and be in as well than to be full and be outside of it. I always say to um, moms with little people, you are so blessed. Like, I just look at moms with little kids and I'm like, there's no questioning what you're supposed to be doing. He gave you two or three or four little kids. Your job is to be a mom and the best mom you can be to those three kids because he gave them to you. That's your job to shepherd their heart. You're going to be someday at 18 or whenever, you know, when they leave saying, okay, world, here they are. What are you putting out there? You know, it's not about just a bunch of rules. We're shepherding their heart. It's a full-time job in, in, in raising kids, godly kids. You know what I mean? Like, pour into them. And I, I always remember, gosh, I just look at them like, do you know you're right in the center of God's will? Like, that's just where you, you don't have to say, hmm, what am I supposed to do today? Oh, that three-year-old wants to eat. Hmm, maybe I should feed him. No, maybe not. No, you know you're supposed to take care of that three-year-old today, Right? You just know that you're right in the center of God's will. It's so nice when you know where, where God wants you to be. Once we start to doubt God's goodness, we will be attracted to Satan's offers. Isn't that so true? His offers look so appealing when we doubt who our God really is. And this world, if we listen to this world and social media, we will doubt big time. Because it's constantly telling us, you need this to be happy. You need that. You need to live here. You need to go there. You know, whatever those whispers are, you need to have this career and you'll be happy. It's a lie. It's a complete lie from the pit of hell. James presents four facts about God's goodness. God only gives good gifts. The way God gives is good. He gives constantly and God does not change. If it comes from God, it must be good, even if we do not see the goodness immediately. He gives good gifts. I remember when Tony and I were first married, um, it was we weren't trying to have a baby, and I got pregnant. And we, they had announced it at Calvary Vineland because my family was, he was the pastor um, who had raised me. And um, I, some people had already given me gifts, and uh, it was going great, and at the same time, his grandmom was dying, Tony's grandmom, who we were really close to. When Tony and I were dating, he lived with those parents, his grandparents. And so I got really close to his grandparents because he, that's where we hung out. And um, we're, I'm thinking, okay, we were actually praying about heading to Bible college, Calvary Temple Bible College. He was going to go to Bible college, and I was going to work full-time as, a, as an LPN, an LVN out there. And, um, and then I got pregnant, and we're like, okay, okay, Lord. You're the one that gives good gifts. We're changing our whole plan. We're not going out there. Now we're going to be a baby. I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to be a mom. Like, we're just changing the whole, everything's changing. And, and then um, we were very focused on his grandma because we knew we were losing him. And then I started, I started bleeding. And I was young. I was 24. And um, we went, and I had the ultrasound, and they did an internal ultrasound, and I got to see her heartbeat. And they're like, she's doing good. Like, I call her a girl because I think if Tony and I would have had 10 kids, we would have had 10 girls. <laughs> I just think we were called to be 
uh, girls. I mean, that's, I don't know. We were called to be parents of girls for some reason. But anyway, um, so I went home all excited with my little printout. I still have the little printout of her ultrasound. And I could see her little, like, legs and her little arms. And, like, I could see she was like a little person in there and her heartbeat. And I just went home. And um, we were also leading the youth. And there was a, a overnight lock-in that weekend that Tony – had to be at, and I'm like, you go, you go. I'm on, I have to be on bed rest. I can get up to go to the bathroom. So I said, I'll be fine. And I just remember as the days that day went on, the cramping got heavier, the bleeding got heavier. And I would call and just say, you know, like, can't you give me a shot and stop it from happening? Like, I just wanted them to stop because I saw her. I was already attached. I saw her heartbeat, and I was like, I wanted her, you know. And God had another plan, you know, and um, it was very difficult to walk through that. Um, I, I remember, um, being so broken over this little baby that I didn't ever get to meet that I couldn't even, you know, when you're so hurt, you're so like broken that you can't even go to the bathroom and like wipe yourself or bathe yourself. You just like, you're just done. And, and it was a time where I really couldn't pull my husband away from, he was losing his grandmother. So I was like, Lord, you, you're the one that gives good gifts. And for out of reason, you want to take her home with you. And I don't know why, maybe someday I'll get to know why when we're in heaven. And um, we walked through that. We got on the other side of it. My husband and I got closer. We had only been married, not a year yet. Um, um, a week after we lost the baby, we lost his grandmom. And I remember him and I not really grieving this loss. I remember there was all these little gifts. Um, women at the Calvary Island, sweet older women, had knitted me little booties for her. And um, I just was like, oh, my gosh. I had to get rid of all that stuff. And um, I remember just sitting saying, we, we need to cry and, and talk about this little baby we, we don't have anymore, like, I know we're dealing with your grandma, but we need to walk through this together. And we just sat and cried together. But I remember that God really, that, that one, what happened in our marriage, only God did that through that trial. He allowed it. I don't know why, but I trusted him it, for his reasons. You know, that he had a reason in it. So we don't always see the goodness immediately, but we see it later on, hopefully. I know not many months later, I had a really dear friend walk through a miscarriage, and she didn't want to hear from anyone else but me. And the Lord used that in a really neat way to minister to her, that, some, that maybe someone else who hadn't walked through that couldn't have ministered. So God uses that, you know, when someone's hurting that bad, and you've made it to the other side. You know, I didn't, I didn't jump ship. The frying pan got hot and I didn't jump, right? I stayed in it. And I made it to the other side to see his goodness and to see he's going to work through this. And, and I'm, I, you know, I still have that ultrasound picture. I still miss her. I wished I could have gotten a hold of her and name her. But God allowed it. So I trust him. Second Corinthians 12 says, Paul's thorn in the flesh was given to him by God, and it seemed to be a strange gift, right? Wasn't that such a, it is such a strange gift. Like, just take it away, Lord. But yet it becomes, it becomes a tremendous blessing we see in the word, right? We see this in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I'm not going to read it, but you can write it in your notes and you can read it later. 
that thorn becomes a big blessing. So he gives only give gifts. The way God gives is good. When God gives a blessing, a blessing, he does it lovingly and in a gracious manner. What he gives and how he gives are both good. He gives constantly. God does not give occasionally. He gives constantly. Even when we do not see his gifts, he's always sending them down. Right? You didn't ask him today, Lord, keep my heart going. Help me to breathe. Like we never, those are just all natural things that we just assume. You know what I mean? He just, those are just gifts he's sending down. How do we know this? Because he tells us so and we believe his word. God does not change. There are no shadows, shady things with the father of pure lights. It is impossible for God to change. He cannot even change for the better because he is perfect. This means we should never question the love of God or doubt his goodness like the enemy wants us to when we're walking through difficulties or temptations appear. The first barrier against temptation is a negative one. It's the judgment of God. The second barrier is a positive, like a negative and then a positive. There's some kind of teaching in that, you teachers. Science thing or something. The second barrier is the goodness of God. A fear of God is a healthy attitude, but the love of God must balance it. The next time you're tempted, meditate on the goodness of God in your life. And finally, we look at verse 18. We're told we must consider God's divine nature within. In the first barrier, God tells us to look ahead and beware of judgment. In the second barrier, God says, look around and see how good I have been to you. Now in the third barrier, God tells us here to look within and realize that you have been born from above and possess the divine nature. It is divine, means it is a work of God. Just as we did not operate and help with our human birth, we cannot generate our spiritual birth. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it was God who performed the miracle. It is gracious. We did not earn it or do we deserve it. God gave us spiritual birth because of his own grace and his will. That was his plan. It is through God's word, just as human birth requires two parents, so a divine birth has two parents, the word of God and the spirit of God. It is the greatest birth possible. We are kind of first fruits of his creatures. James, James wrote to Jewish believers, and the word first fruits would be meaningful to them, right? They were always to give up their first fruits. The Old Testament Jews brought the first fruits to the Lord as their expression of their devotion and obedience. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with the substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. Of all creatures God has in the universe, Christians are his very highest and finest. Um, I, anybody that knows me knows I love animals. And I'm like, Lord, your animals are really cool, but your people, not so much. You know what I mean? Like, so, Sometimes when you're watching, like you're hearing the news and you're just hearing how people are treating each other. And I'm not talking about, I mean, the world is bad, but Christians, how we treat each other. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, I'll just go hang out with the giraffes and the elephants, baby, all the babies. You know, I want all the babies um, to just hang out with them because they're not going to be mean to me um, or I'm not going to have an issue or, you know, but God says we're his finest. We're his finest. Yet this new nature must be fed the word of God daily, that it might be strong to fight the battle so that we don't want to jump ship. Just as the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to give you a spiritual birth, he uses the word to give you spiritual strength. So this is where we get our strength. I always encouraged, um, because it was very difficult when my girls were little and Tony was gone a lot. Um, He was working two jobs and planning a church. Um, 
even if you can get 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be, you know, I would, I would watch some of my family members um, and be like, how do you sit there for an hour? Like, that's, wow, 15 minutes, like whatever you can get in. But now that I'm on the other side and my kids are growing and I have time, I, you know, I, I'm, I was never a morning person, never, ever, ever. And now I wake up without even an alarm. It's amazing. Um, so the Lord, you know, if you pray, God, help me, I, I need that time with you. Like I need to sit with him to write in my journal, to pray, um, to read his word, because this is what's going to change us. This is what's going to grow us. And this is what, when we're hurting, walking through that trial that we can't understand, or we don't see the results or the fruit of it right then, or maybe even years later. It'll make sense if we just trust his word. Like, that'll help us through it. It'll give us spiritual strength and help us to stay healthy. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. No matter what excuses we make, we have no one to blame for sin but ourselves. Our own desires lead us to temptation and then sin. God is not to blame. And neither are our parents. I didn't have great parents, and I'm sure half of this room didn't have great parents. And um, they were just not there. My mom was only 14 when she had me. And it would be easy for me to say, well, I'm this way because of them. I didn't get loved as a kid. But you know what? I looked at what I didn't have, what didn't happen, and I said, you know what? I have Jesus, and I'm a new person. That slate is clean. And I know she, maybe she wasn't taught. Maybe my mom was never taught how to be a mom. Maybe she never learned. She was one of seven, and they were very, very poor. I know my mom knows how to clean, and she knows how to iron very, very well. So that might have been one of her chores or something she had to do. But I said to God, I can't wait to be a mom, and I want to be the mom that you want me to be. Not what I've seen. Not what, what, please, Jesus. I want to be the mom, the best mom that you want me to be. So I think instead of falling into the trap of, well, this happened, this happened in my life. I can't be victorious. I think that's another lie from Satan. He wants to keep you crippled. He wants to keep you isolated. So that you, God can't use you. And I don't want to be crippled. I don't want to be eaten by bitter. I have forgiven. I have gone to oh, my grandfather's deathbed and said to him, I know what you did to me in the middle of the night. And I forgive you because of Jesus. It's not of me, girls. It is not of me. It's all glory to him. But God is able. God is faithful. Our own desire leads us to temptation and then sin. God is not to blame, but God has set up barriers to keep us from sin. If we heed these barriers, we will overcome and obtain that eternal crown. I want it. I want the eternal crown. I want to make it to the other side. I don't want to be crippled and not useful for him and not surrendered not obedient. There is a much better outcome that will bring eternal joy. 
And that's what we want. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, God, that it changes us, Lord. If we surrender to you, if we're obedient to you, Lord, if we, if we, all we can do is put on peace, be still, and lay on the floor and bawl, God, you're right there with us, holding us. And you're faithful to mend us, Lord, to, to bring us to the other side, to something more beautiful than we would ever dream, Lord. Help us as women to trust you, Lord, in whatever circumstance, whatever trial that you might bring, Lord. And I know there's some difficult ones. There's some really, really difficult ones out there, Lord. And we just look to you because you are able and faithful. In your precious name we pray. Amen.